The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back into the podcast that we like to call From the Podium, where you hear directly from your Kansas City Chiefs. I'm host and audio producer of the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, Stephen Serta. We heard from Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach on Friday as he spoke about the upcoming NFL draft. Here's Veach. Apologize for running a little late. When you have 12 picks, these uh, meetings tend to take a little bit longer. Um, before uh, I open it up for questions, uh, just want to thank my staff for all the all the hard work they've done uh, in getting ready for this for this draft. It's funny because the last two years it was really just uh, Zoom meetings and tape, and now all of a sudden you have the combine and you have the workouts there and then the pro days and then the um, – in-house visits and the coaches going out there working players so we've been going at it 100 miles an hour but um, certainly excited about next week and uh, the opportunity to add a lot of talent to the kingdom um, gonna have a lot of fun with these picks and and like I said just look forward to the process and and get next week started so with that open up for questions so a couple of years ago it was Frank Clark last year it was Orlando Brown who's it gonna be uh, Debo Samuel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no we um uh, look we <laughs> We've, uh, you were ready. Yeah, I was. I was. Um, no, we, um, you know, we're excited about, you know, the talent we have on the roster. We're also excited about uh, the prospects in this draft class. And um, I think it's, uh, we've shown every, every indication of, you know, where we're going with this thing. And we're going to build through the draft. And, and having 12 picks and having flexibility year in and year out is something um, that we're certainly putting a lot of stock in. And, and like I said, we're excited to add uh, talent on both sides of the football and, and work through the draft and, and get young and, and get deep. You, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. you sounded earlier that the intent of the organization was to sign Tyron Matthew mm-hmm. and it looked like he wanted to stay. Can you kind of go through what happened there and why that never came about? Yeah, I mean, you know how these things work, Adam, especially when you transition to the season into the off season. Um, we certainly had um, broad concept discussions with Tyron um, prior to last preseason. Um, and, you know, when you have those kind of broad concept discussions, um, to the kid's credit um, and to his defense, I mean, those are usually geared toward team-friendly deals and what would make sense for us. And certainly we had a lot of hurdles with the contracts and the players on our team. So uh, when we approached him, you know, our expectations was that this was a long shot for us. But, you know, w- let's see if we can get something done. But totally understand his position and where he was. Um, and then you go into the season and, you know, the player and, and, and the organization knows that once it gets into that um, next phase of, evaluation and then the process of having guys under contract and then holding uh, a franchise tag with Orlando Brown, it becomes tricky and you have to be able to pivot and shift quickly. And, and, and we did that, but, um, you know, certainly can't say enough about Tyron and, and how we feel about him. 
Um, no, because I think he's a guy that you know knows what he wants, and he's going to be selective. I'm sure he has some choices out there, but um, he's you know certainly is an accomplished player, and he's done a lot of things in this uh, in this league. So I, I don't think that he's in a rush to make a decision. I think he has choices, and and um, you know I, I think I'm not surprised just because um, when you've done the things that he's done, and you won Super Bowls and been to Pro Bowls, um, I don't think. You know, there's a need to, to rush and, and take all the information in and spend time with your family and, and let the decision come to you as, a, as opposed to forcing a decision. He did say, he did say that, um, you know, had you all made the same offer that you made to Reed, if you were to take it or leave it, he would have taken it. Uh, if as it gets close to the season and you all look like you might need some help, would there be interest in possibly bringing him back? I think anything's on the table. And, and I think um, that goes for how we operate um, at all levels. I mean, he's a player that, that we know and we love. And if there's a situation that, that, you know, makes sense for him, you know, it's all about him now. Um, um, certainly we wouldn't close the door to that um, because of the way we feel about him. Right. Uh, in any way you want to evaluate a draft class, you can always do it by saying how many first-round grades you have. I think last year you said there were 17. Um, when you look at this year's group, how has that evaluation process gone and how does it compare or similar to last year? Yeah, I think, it's, I think there's a lot of similarities. To last draft, I think we have right around 16, 18 names on our on our front board as first round picks, and um, picking there at 29, 30, you know, the odds of you know maybe one of those guys falling um, isn't isn't great. But at the same time, you know, we're probably not factoring quarterbacks that, that most teams do. Um, I'm sure there's quarterbacks worthy of first round grade, which is obviously not going in that direction. But I think similar to last year, I think when you look at value in this draft, um, you know, 30 to 60 is really good. Um, you know. It, we were able to get Nick Bolton and Creed Humphrey last year. I think there'll be a lot of value uh, similar to that. I think a lot of really good players in that second, third round. Right, been out there that you were negotiating with Tyreek, and it, it was kind of a, a long process, eventually ended up trading. How much did that, the talking and the delay there, maybe impact the original offseason plan, if at all? Well, you know, I, I think it, it did to an extent. I, I think certainly, um, you know, the market kind of guides, you know, the delays or the – um, the efficiency of, of, of how things go. So I think once the receiver deals start coming in, you know, you, you knew it would be a little tricky. Um, when we looked at this offseason, you know, I think on our agenda was, um, you know, to add talent um, to the defensive side, whether it be defensive line or whether it be in the secondary, and take care of Tyreek. And it became obvious as the free agency started that uh, – it was going to be tough to do both. So, you know, you're faced with the decision. Do you dip into the older veteran pass rush market? Um, if you do that, then you're, how are you going to pay Tyreek? And then how does Tyreek feel about that? Um, if you do the Tyreek thing, then, you know, you're limited in regards to your resources being able to be spent on defense plus future. Um, with that type of deal, it would be impacted to a, you know, a great deal. So when we took a step back and we figured, well, how are we going to get better on both sides? And, and, you know, that's why we decided it was, it was best for us and really best for Tyreek getting that contract. So it, it was kind of a win-win in that situation. Um, again, it's hard to go out there and sign uh, a veteran pass rusher, good players, um, but at that level, um, you probably couldn't do anything with Tyreek. And then how would he handle that? And we wouldn't do that. And at the same time, if you do that with Tyreek, again, you're limited in what you can do. So it was kind of a best-case scenario for us and, and for him. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. I, you, know, you talked about having 12 picks and being excited to use all of them or most of them. Do you anticipate when draft day comes around you're going to have 29 and you're going to still have 30? Or are you looking to move up maybe if the, if the price is right and the player is right? Well, I think, again, it goes back to uh, just the unknowns and how the dominoes fall. We see it every year. I think, um, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, it was 
we had a, a weird dynamic where the board kind of fell off. It usually never falls off like you have it. So most teams deviate in some degree in, in how they have their board and how you have your board. But I, I don't know if it was last year or the year before. It was like every guy we had in the first round went like that. And, you know, if it happens like that, then it's hard to envision, you know, a, a trade-up. But typically what happens, the board do deviate and they are different. Um, and then when you find value of... You know, we talk about 16, 18 guys being valued in the first round, then all of a sudden, you know, you get to picks 19, 20, 21, and there's still some of those guys on the board. I think you make a decision and see if you can m maybe find a trade partner. Um, if those 16 guys are off the board by the time you get to 19, 20, 21, then, y you know, I think it kind of drives the narrative to just stay put and, and just collect the assets. I, um, you know, I don't probably foresee a huge jump up um, just throwing a haymaker and trying to get in the top 10. I, I mean, unless something unforeseen happens, unforeseen happens, I would say that, you know, um, we'll be flexible and, and we'll let the board talk to us. And if there's value, we will. And if not, we'll just stay put. Right. In that conversation you mentioned about Tyree, was that a thought process you guys had talked about before the asking price might have been elevated? I think, you know, in this day and age with, with players and with especially given our cap and, and the amount of talent we have on our team, it's always something that we have in our back of my mind, like, like what if, right? So I think before we go in, to any negotiation, I think there's always, um, and I think we do a great job of just going over the what ifs. I mean, we've gone over it like just for the draft in general, like what if, you know, I mean, there's, there's so many. So when you talk about free agency and contracts of that magnitude, in, in the back of your mind, you always have to play that out. Right. you had to say you guys have made a concerted effort, to, obviously it's cap related, but a concerted effort to get younger. And if so, how do you integrate the kind of balance of the <laughs> the immediate future and, and the long-term horizon here? I mean, I, I know it's a long-winded question, but yeah. how, do you, how do you do that? Well, I, I mean, it's it's a balancing act for sure, and, and I think that, um, you know, certainly every organization is driven to, you know, acquire depth and, and acquire youth. I think, um, you know, there are factors that come into play when you talk about veteran players and, and what they're able to add in regards to leadership and, and off-the-field intangibles that sometimes um, you can't put a price on. And, you know, you also factor in the injury history of players and, um, there are outliers, and knock on wood, like Travis Kelsey is just a, um, a rare example of that, where he's just, you know, the best at what he does, and he continues to do it year after year. So there's always outliers to the equation, but I think it's just a balancing act in general. Do you feel like we can say you're ex trying to extend a window? Yeah. And yeah. and does that come at a cost to the sort of the, the foreground? Um, well, I I think, and I've said this before, I think. Um, when you have Pat Mahomes, I think we're wired to, to go after it every year. And even though you make, may make moves and may trade really good players, um, it doesn't mean that there'll be a counterpunch and that we'll try to you know, be aggressive in another way. I think you just have to be smart and, and, and flexible with what you do. And I think um, the, you know, what's needed to do that is draft resources and cap space. And so just because you trade away a great player doesn't mean you know, we're in a rebuilding mode by any means. It means that we're just going to find a new set of resources and, and try to become aggressive. Right. You like when you get to that moment where you decide we're not going to re-sign Tyron Matthew, we're going to trade Tyreek Hill. I mean, do you, do you, I mean you, you know there's going to be a blowback publicly a little bit when you make those moves. Well, what's that like when you get to that point? Is that any harder than, than anything else you do um, in that regard? Yeah, I, that makes any sense? you know, it does. I And that's a good question, but I think... Um, I see where the question is coming from, but I think it, it's more of a slower evolution where it's, you know, here are the talks and they're going in this direction one day and then they slowly start to creep in another. And then by the time you actually get to it, it's, it's kind of, it's not one of those as 
fans or media would see it, it would get dropped on a day, be like, whoa, that's a lot. But that was more of a, of, of a weeks of the evolution kind of shifting from a, an extension to maybe a trade to, it, we're, and this is going to happen. So it, it's a little bit more um, played out for us. So when it does drop, it's it's already been flushed through our system for weeks or, you know, if, if not more. Okay. Does it take you some time to... Get used to it in your own head. We're not going to have no. Tyreek Hill. Yeah, I, I think you just turn the radio off, and and, and, <laughs> and that's what you do. And so my first year, you know, you'd be like looking. at Now it's like you know, it, you you learn quickly that whether you do something good or bad, it's you know, it, it is what it is. And you know, um, our job is to just you know put the blinders on and go to work and and you know work hard and and do the work and, and communicate with our staff and just do whatever we feel is best and um, you know just stick to the plan. I don't, I don't just necessarily mean from the public, yeah. from the blowback standpoint, but you're altering the franchise for better or for worse sure. with a single move. I mean, is that is that tough to come to grips with when you when you come down to do we do this or not do this? Yeah, I think I mean just in general in this league. I mean, it's it's. I, I joke with the guys all the time. I I always thought like if you become a GM and, and won a Super Bowl, it's like icing on the cake and you know stress-free life. And it's the complete opposite. You know, every year you feel like it's not good enough. So I think just in general, you know, working in this profession um, and, and you know being in this league, it, it they you everyone literally forgets what you did the year before. And it's every year it's got to be something brand new and something different. And um, it, it motivates us. And and uh, you know we're certainly fortunate that we have guys that are wired to come in and compete every day um, and you know talking to Pat every day and seeing the way he's working with those guys out there is, is certainly um, another motivating factor I mean um, but the pressures and the expectations are there whether you won a Super Bowl the year before or whether you stink I mean there's still pressure to win so I think we feel it all the time. Right, 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 two questions for you um, in the role of the GM have, with, with the ascension of these players getting more guaranteed money up front and more guaranteed of, of their contract being guaranteed how difficult is it, if any, is it making your job when it comes to, you know, if you decide to do a trade, just for example, Debo Sings knowing the money, type of money he, he, would, he would want uh, versus what you, whether or not you keep draft picks or whether or not Well, yeah, and I just think it, it it goes back to the um, the landscape of you know your your cash and cap situation in, in the short and long term, and I think that there will be times and. Um, certainly, this was a time where we decided to alter the course of action and, and to rely on draft picks. But I think it'll come full circle again. Where you know we're we're probably being aggressive, but I think um, we're always going to operate with the mindset of having flexibility. And I think those type of questions are more of a case by case situation and, and where the team is and and what we feel is available to us in a particular year. I mean, some years you may feel like you can get some, something similar. Um, with a lesser trade or in the draft, in some years you feel like um, what's out there in free agency is just you can't replicate something like that. So you have to be a little bit more bold and more aggressive. And um, you know the scheme and you know your depth, everything comes into play. So it, it, it's a case by case example, and I, and I just think you have to be flexible year in and year out. You were at the, you were at the uh, NFL owners meeting. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the, the mandate that came out of that was for. Uh, NFL teams to hire offensive assistants. Where are you all at with that with that process and hiring a minority for the offensive coaching staff and in your pool of candidates or any of them coming from HBCUs? Yeah, that would that would be something more that 
coach would handle, but I know that one thing is uh, where that falls on coaches' list of priority is, is right at the top. And, and obviously, you know, the guys that we have on our staff are, are excellent, and, and certainly everyone knows how we feel about EB. And I think, you know, Greg Lewis is another superstar in the making. I think he's an outstanding coach. And then uh, Coach Merritt in the secondary has just been awesome to work with. But um, I know Coach handles that in regards to the interview process and, and the streamlines of resumes that come through him. But um, needless to say, that's at the top of his priority list. Um, Brett, how much of your evaluation with you and your staff has changed in terms of looking at the cornerback class right now along with the <laughs> defensive ends? And in that evaluation, do you feel like talking with you know, Steve and the rest of the coaching staff that there might be a little bit more of an emphasis on one part of that defensive mindset heading into this draft? No, I think that they're both up there, you know, and, and it, it just comes down to, you know, our selection and where we value the guy, um, I, I think that they're both there neck and neck in regards to what we feel need-wise. So um, we've had great dialogue. In fact, uh, running late for this meeting, we, we were in there with the defensive staff, and usually the, the Friday before the draft, we, we go through everything. So we actually just wrapped that up, and you know we we did have some actually those questions of, of comparing you know those positions and, and where we'd be. But um, I don't think. I think that there's a need to get better at all levels, and I think that there's um, uh, certainly a high priority on both the end and corner. And, and I think we'll, um, you know, be in, hopefully with these picks, be in a position to, to add both of those positions. Uh, on Orlando Brown, you guys put the tag on him. Mm -hmm. My understanding, he still doesn't have an agent. He's yeah. doing this himself right yeah. now. You obviously have to be prepared for him to sign that and play on that. But you, are you actively trying to <coughs> get a long-term deal with him? And how complicated is that if he is or isn't going to hire an agent. Well, yeah, that's, that's interesting. He, so we did have dialogue with him, and then during the course of that dialogue, um, you know, he's taken a step back and and he's got kind of redoing the agent process and um, and where we are right now. And in addition to the Tyree Kill trade um, with our cap and having flexibility now, uh, it allows us to take a step back, get through this draft. Um, we certainly anticipate that once the draft's over, I, I'm sure there'll be a point that there's a finale to, to him going out there and finding an agent. And then, um, I mean, we'll have a ton of time to talk. And um, you guys know how the, you know, the Chris Jones deal went, where it was, you know, it, it was right there toward the end. That's typically how a lot of these things go, where there's no rush on either side. On one end, the player likes to take their time and to really assess uh, the current and future markets. Um, on the flip side, the team is going through a draft process, and they have a ton on their plate, and they're trying to get through meetings and get through the board. Uh, and then usually after, everyone just takes a deep breath, and the draft ends, and there's that chunk of time in between the final mandatory OTAs. There's a lot of dialogue. Does he feel, you feel like he's going to hire an agent, or is he going to represent himself? Do you have a feeling yet? I, I, I don't, and I'd, I'd hate to, to misspeak because, you know, it's important for him to, I mean, that's got to be, that's a big decision, and I, I don't want to certainly um, influence that either way. I, you know, I think he's a really smart guy. Uh, he'll make a great decision, and whoever he decides to hire, or if he wants to represent himself, I mean, we'll be um, more than happy to sit down and, and talk long-term extension. Generally speaking, in, in this class, I know you guys are deep into this. So I was just wondering, why why net? Could you just talk about the wide receiver class and then the edge class, and how you feel that um, it, it might dictate what you guys do? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the edge class is um, is deep. I think there's a lot of talented players there, and there's some numbers. Um, Obviously, one through through two. So I think the numbers play um, into your equation. The receiver class um, is it's unique this year because you have some different types of skill sets, um, and you guys know the top guys. You know you have a vertical guy, you have a bigger guy, you have a shifty guy, and you throw in some injuries and some long-term 
you know, um, analysis of where they'll be, um, it kind of throws a little bit of a wild card into, you know, their final grade and, and where you take them. But um, like every year, you're always going to have the, with those skill positions. You're going to have, um, you know, the top guys that everyone will kind of nitpick and, and, you know, what's best for you in there. But, but those guys are all talented at the top. Then there's another pocket of guys in the second round. And then, like, every year, you know, those later rounds, there are a ton of, you know, beauties in the eye of the beholder type deal. And, and the vision, the scheme, the fit um, all comes into play. And we spent, obviously, a ton of time with that. Um, the running back class this year, it's, it's really crazy because when you factor in that COVID year last year mm-hmm. um, and some of the guys that stayed in school, it's there is – I've never seen such a large group of, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh round running backs. And it's like the names go from the top of the ceiling down to the bottom. So there'll certainly be a, I, I told the guys, my prediction is there'll be a thousand yard rusher that is an undrafted free agent or seventh round pick just by the sheer volume and numbers. But with those skilled positions, there's always pockets and groups and ways and um, just takes a, a lot of work to go through with the, the coaching staff. But, um, you know, we're able to do that. And, and I would say about 95% of our board is done now. We're just cleaning up some of the, um, the late round stuff. So um, I think we have a good plan and we're excited uh, for next week. Two questions. One, how much should media and fans believe when they hear coaches and GMs? I'm not talking about the guys here, but just league wide. How much should we believe? And then secondly, uh, after Tyree Kill was taken, I think Coach and, and some people talked about how, boy, there's always guys you'll love in the draft, and we were hoping this guy would be available at the right time for us. So how many guys in this draft? That, that you love secretly, and they may be fourth or fifth round guys. Yeah, I think there's guys in every round that we're secretly hoping um, that fall to you. Uh, I think what happens is is that's more likely the, the later the round. So, like, you know, uh, we would love, let's just say, uh, a Hutchinson to fall to us at 30, but that won't happen. But when you get into the second or third round, then you, that comes into play. Like, we would love for these guys to fall. And as the draft goes on, the likelihood of guys that you loving, that you have valued in that particular round, the odds increase. Um, but that happens every round. So obviously, like I said, there's guys that we, we would we would love the Cincinnati corner to fall at 32, but that won't happen. Um, but again, once you get in the fourth and fifth round, that's when you know you have these wide discrepancies of league-wide views and how they feel about players. Um, everyone, when you talk about guys on your front board, um, we may be at 16, 18. Another team may be at 16 or 17. But typically around the league, I mean, it's going to be very close to being the same names. Um, by the time you get to round three, and you ask teams, I mean, they could be just completely different. Um, so that's where uh, the likelihood of hoping a guy falls um, dramatically increases. Um, and as far as what to believe, I, I mean, I wouldn't believe anything. <laughs> yeah. Brad, it seems like forever ago when Patrick's deal was done. Um, I know at that time he stated he wanted to keep talent around him. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why he took less. Uh, how much dialogue, going back to the Tyreek Hill deal, the decision, how much dialogue did you guys have with Patrick and going forward, how much, you know, input will he have? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we, we talk all the time, and, you know, most of it is about, um, you know, the off-season program and the workouts, and he's, uh, he, he's getting after it, and I know he's excited last year, you know, with the injury, it was a little bit rough to get out there and get moving and, and develop a rapport with some of the new guys. This year's a lot different where he's healthier, and I know he has a group of guys down there uh, in Texas working out with him every day. So we're able to talk about some of the stuff he's seeing. Obviously, we know some of the guys like the Kelseys and the Clydes and what they look like, but just his input on the Rojos and the Jujus and the uh, Valdez Scantlings, how they're doing, how they're coming along, is great for us in regards to, you know, uh, even for the draft and how this thing's coming together and what he's thinking. So the dialogue's been there. Um, and certainly uh, going back to the Tyreek thing, I mean, that was something that, you know, we had 
kind of went through the scenarios and just put it on his radar. And Pat's not one of the guys that's calling and saying, what's going on, what's going on? But, you know, we just had that relationship where it, it's kind of a quick phone call. Hey, listen, this is kind of where this thing's going, and here, here's kind of what the information looks like, and, you know, I'm just uh, don't need to be surprised. And um, but he gets it. He'll be a guy that I know his, his wife is involved with the soccer team, but he'll be an owner or something because he understands, you know, broad ideas and concepts and draft picks. And there's a lot of times he sounds like Clark, like, let's keep all of our picks, you know. So. <laughs> Todd. Uh, hey, Brett, a couple things. One, you've always been pretty aggressive, especially when you have picks to, to trade up. And, and I know a lot of talk about maybe Jameis Winston or something like that. But you talked about the value in 30 to 60. With where you guys are at and the, the chance that a Desmond Ritter or somebody like that really intrigues somebody and they want to get that fifth-year option, are you guys more open to maybe trading back this year than, than you might be in years past? Or how do you value that fifth-year option? Yeah, no, I think that it certainly comes into play when you talk about quarterbacks and, and the fifth-year option for quarterbacks is something that, um, I mean, having that option is, is important for all players, but none more so than a quarterback. So I think that there's certainly value in there that, um, like you mentioned, there will be value from um, that early second to middle three. And, and if a team is motivated to get a quarterback that maybe they just felt like it was a little high at maybe the top – you know, top three, four, five picks or whatever, but they're coming right back around in two, and, and you know, they, they still like the guy. The guy's still on the board. Um, it, it's certainly very likely that they're going to call, and they're going to call a team that has multiple picks, you know, because it, it'd probably be easier to work with a team like that. But you would think that if a quarterback that they have a liking to is still there, um, that they would be more motivated to get that fifth year than any other skill position. And then the other thing was you, you've – Tyreek's gone, right? But you, you've added Marquez, you've added Juju. Is there a profile you're looking for in a receiver to supplement that room that, you know, that already has McColl and those guys? I mean, are you looking for an axe? Are you looking for a slot? Is there something that you guys are prioritizing you think would complement what you already have? Yeah, so like when you trade Tyreek, you know, there's always the, you know, light components or how you're going to fill it. And, and I guess on one end, it's, it's very hard to replicate, you know, a, a talent like Tyreek Hill. Um, but I also think that sometimes um, that there's that – mindset or, or, or idea that, um, you know, or, or forgetting, I guess, how, how great of a coach Andy Reid is. I mean, he's one with all type of quarterbacks and all different offensive schemes, and um, our staff is, is very dynamic. And, and, and look, we had Tyreek Hill, and we were able to implement a lot of RPO stuff and a lot of vertical attack stuff, but it doesn't mean when you have a talent like Pat Mahomes and a, and a Hall of Fame coach like Andy that, you know, you can't you know, rewire and retweak, you know, your offense and how you do things. And there's multiple ways that, you know, we've scored points over the years. And um, would you like to find someone like Tyree? Yeah, but I think every team would. If you don't, I mean, there's many ways to win games. And, and um, our offense, I think, is extremely uh, flexible. And I think a lot more flexible than what people think. And I think for, for us and for what we do, um, we're just going to we're gonna go out there and collect good players and they might not be 4-2 guys, but if they're good football players, we're going to put them in position to make plays and, and win a lot of games. Along those same lines, I guess, but for the edge position in this year's class, it, it seems like Spagnuolo kind of has a type, not that there's not outliers or whatever, but how do you measure what makes sense for what he likes and his scheme, who you like, any measurables that, that cut you off there? Like, How does that process yeah, work? Yeah, no, I, I think it's just, um, it's just, you know, consistent dialogue and, 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 and kind of going through um, draft histories, our roster, you know, this is where the, the self-evaluation of our own team and our self-scouting comes into play, um, where we came short, you know, where we can get better, how we can get deeper, 
but I think it's it, it's it, it, it's another one of those scenarios where it's a it's a slower evolution, but it's bits of information over year that kind of accumulates. Um, but more than anything, it's 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 you know constant communication. We have good dialogue. It comes up a lot with some of the 34 rushers where they're not really ideal scheme fits. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you can get guys that can rush a quarterback, um, you know, let's find a way that we can, you know, utilize them and implement them. So we do get into a lot of, you know, visionary type discussions in regards to if we bring this guy, yeah, there may be limitations on reducing him and playing him down. But um, whether it be, you know, standing him up and playing him in a joker type role or just as a pure DPR, you know, how do we see that, how we fit that? and those conversations go into more conversations with the college staff and their ability to learn and retain. So um, it's just exchanging ideas and just getting to a point where um, there's always a little give and take, but getting to the point where everyone feels comfortable and sees the vision together. Um, Brett, I asked you this last year. Um, I mentioned how most teams typically have anywhere between 180 to 220 players on the draft board. And last year you had mentioned because of COVID it was less. Mm -hmm. with, with COVID restrictions now lifted, how back? How close to normal are you this year as you, as you look at your draft board? That was the only number I wrote down because I was like, someone's going to ask me this question. <laughs> so it was, you know, my um, my cap guys keep keep a log of that, and we get into these meetings, and so I'm not looking at every number every single day. And uh, it's funny because I was leaving to come down here, and I said to, to Chris Shea, I said, how many numbers? Because somebody's going to ask me this. So we have 194, and that is a lot more than it was from, from certainly last year with the COVID year, and it's a little bit more than most years, which makes sense given the fact that so many guys were able to come back again next year with COVID. So there's a lot of numbers, but we have a lot of picks, so I think it's okay that we have a few extra numbers this year. Dorsey used to brag he could get that number down to about 120. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, think, uh, I think that's something that it makes it a lot easier. So I, I'm sure that by the time we get to uh, next Thursday, 194, there'll be a, a reduction from that too. But... Um, just trying to cover all the bases. Last two, let's say I'm Brett, did you always anticipate that this would be a year maybe you could absorb Mahomes' bonus? And, and how, how much does that change things for you down the road? Yeah, I, I think that, again, like the question about uh, Tyree Kill and, you know, did you go into that negotiation with, I, I think similar to, to that contract too, that's, we look at all the, okay, um, our options what each option means, what would be the best option. And so that's something that, you know, that there's, uh, we've preserved and, you know, we can work with now. I think you're always driven to see if you can make other things work. And that was one of those things that we talked about and just didn't make sense. Um, but we do have some flexibility now as that contract continues to grow and, and it, it is long. So um, that's something that we have and, and we'll be able to utilize to, again, continue to surround Pat with talent. How different? Is the, the, I mean, the job title, exactly what your, your goal is, is the same, but how different do you feel like you operated this year, this offseason as opposed to last offseason with, with this number? Yeah, I mean, I think just the whole process has been a lot more intense um, because of the number of picks, uh, the number of players, and then the process being back to normal. So I think I mentioned it right at the beginning of the press conference where last few years it was um, tape, and Zoom calls. And this year, it's um, guys were flying back in for pre-combine meetings. Well, first we had uh, free agency meetings to pre-combine meetings to find the combine, to meet the players there, uh, then to going out to pro days and having players come in here and our coaches going out and work them out. So there was a lot of moving parts this year. And it was it was like, obviously, years in years past, but not having that for two years and then having all these picks and then having 
everything just open up and unleash on us was a lot of work. But again, that's uh, a credit to the staff and, and the coaches um, just putting in the extra hours of work. My staff coming in earlier and, and flying out here, uh, you know, uh, weeks ahead of time just to make sure we have all these bases covered with this amount of picks. So um, we feel really good about it. But again, I don't think we'd be there, you know, if not for the great work by the staff I have and the coaching staff. Um, a couple of things, Brett. Um, first, um, understanding you're probably going to add a guy or two at wide receiver. Where do you feel like you guys are right now at that position? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, we feel like we're in a good spot. And, and, and again, having 12 picks, you're going to have flexibility to add on both sides of the fo football. And, and if there's a receiver that makes sense, and, and you know, obviously in any of these rounds, um, you know, that's the, the beauty of having so many picks. But I think... Um, when you have Kelsey and a guy like Juju, I think you have a really good, um, uh, you really have good advantages and matchups in the intermediate game, and, and certainly McColl and Marquez can, can stretch the field. Um, Clyde's healthy; this is the first full offseason he's going to have, and I know that he's spoken about that and just you know some of the injuries and the issues he's had now that he's healthy. And then you throw in a guy that. Um, we really liked in the process a few years ago in, in, in Rojo that we think he adds a, another element. And so, I mean, we feel really good about our skilled players. Um, certainly we have a talented offensive line, and now we have an opportunity to add mo more players on, on, again, both sides. But, I mean, you know, offensive line depth is good in this draft. So we feel like we can add depth and youth there. And, and well, I mean, we'll certainly always look to add skill and talent around Pat and, and you know, look forward to doing that. Um, can you give us a sense of where a couple of injured guys are in their rehabs and when they mm -hmm. might be back? Yeah. Uh, Lucas Nguyen and Jody Fortson? So I think Jody I don't have an update on um, just because I haven't gotten with Rick on him. Uh, Lucas, you know, we did speak, um, I want to say about three days ago. Uh, Lucas actually flew in and got an update on his MRI, and everything was exactly where it needed to be. And, you know, with the bigger guys, you're always worried about, um, especially with that injury, um, you know, I'll certainly defer to Rick, but just in general, um, his timeline, Rick was excited about, um, the degrees of flex flexion and flexibility. It was a check plus, so that means it was where it needed to be. And, and he was right on schedule. So, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think, and again, I don't know if Rick had mentioned this and at a certain point he will, I, I think that, you know, him by the end of training camp, you know, is something that could happen. And, um, but he's definitely on target where he needs to be. Last one. Hey, Grant. Um, you mentioned quarterback and, you know, relationship to early picks. That hasn't been a position that you've necessarily invested a lot of draft resources, high-end draft resources, or even a big contract. How much of that is philosophy versus circumstance? And at the same time, is that a position that, you know, there's just a limited pool of guys that fit yeah. what you want to do? I think it's more circumstance than limited pool. I think that... Um, most people with roster construction is quarterback and then O-line and then D-line and corner. I mean, I think that that's a general, like, league consensus, and I think we adhere to most of those um, conceptual concepts. So I, I just think that, you know, and I think I said this after the season, um, you know, when you have higher name um, profile players on your team and, you know, you're limited, and then when you're picking 30, 31, 32 every year, I mean, those corners go off really quick. And then you just come into that age-old question. You know, I mean, are you over? You know, you try not to take a third-round corner at the top of two or the you know second-round corner. You know, it, inevitably, though, if you only have 16 names on the board, you're always reaching a little bit. So it's just that price point. But I think it's, 
I mean, 90% is just circumstantial. I mean, if you can get a good long athletic corner, I mean, you're going to get one of those guys all day. It just it hadn't worked out. And, and I think sometimes what gets lost in translation, too, is um, names that people see on a draft server or, uh, you know, what they don't factor into is like, you know, the things that you don't see. So we'll all see the 40, right? And we'll see the test numbers in the tape. And we can all sit here and maybe watch a guy and agree that he's good. But there are interviews that take place and there are background checks that take place and there are injury, um, you know, medical records that take place. And so, you know, sometimes it's like, well, we pass on X, Y, and Z. Well, like he was off our board. Like it wasn't in the discussion because of this reason, that reason. And, and it happens every year. Um, and no one's going to say who's off their board, and you know we wouldn't do that. But um, but those are some of the things that I think, other than you know picking thirty is a dynamic, not having a ton of cap space because of the high profile players we have is a dynamic. The fact that corners cost sixteen million dollars uh, a year is a dynamic, and then the fact that there may be sure numbers of just names you're looking at, but are those guys all on our board, or did some of those guys for some reason? And maybe it's the wrong reason by us. I mean, there's times that we make mistakes on character, medical. I mean, that all happens too. But there are dynamics that yeah, you know, you have to have core philosophies and stick by them, or you're always chasing your tail. So um, I would say it's more circumstantial.